So this summer, uh, Pastor Harrison and I are going to be bringing a sermon series on the parables of Jesus, summer stories, where we look at the stories that Jesus told, how those stories fit uh, the life and the context of his listeners, and how they can fit our lives as well, how we can hear the stories of Jesus. But uh, the first sermon in a series is always a little bit of a challenge for me because I want to spend some extra time introducing it. And I love the Old Testament, and so I believe strongly that in order for us to understand the New Testament and the stories and the parables of Jesus, we need to start in the Old Testament. So I won't keep you there too long, but I want to just spend uh, two or three minutes on the Old Testament before we get into uh, our text for today, which is Matthew 13. The most important passage in the Old Testament for Jewish people is and was the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word, and it refers to Deuteronomy 6, where Moses says to the Israelites, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Jesus summarizes the Shema in Matthew 22 when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quotes the most important passage in the Old Testament to the Jewish people when he tells them how to live. He quotes the Shema. But Shema is a Hebrew word that we also have in English. It's the first word of that passage that I read. Shema is usually translated as hear. Hear, O Israel. That's the Shema. But Shema means a lot more than just hear. It also means listen. Shema also means understand. And Shema also means obey. All of these meanings are tied up in this one Hebrew word. Now, you might either not care, which I appreciate, or you might think that's way too much meaning to cram into one little word. But I just want to challenge you as we start to say, can you really say to your parents, I heard you, when you didn't really understand what they said? Can you really say to your spouse, I understand, when you didn't do what they asked you to do? And if you really do obey God and what he calls you to do, what he asks from you, it's, of course, because you first listened to him. You understood what he was calling you to do, and then you put it into practice. All of these are Shema. So now, why am I going down this big rabbit trail before we even get into this series? Well, it's because in every parable that Jesus tells in the New Testament, he says something like this. The one who has ears to hear, let them shema, let them hear. Jesus intentionally connects every single one of his parables to that central summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So now, let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's listen, invite you to listen to what God is saying to you through his word, and then even to take time during and after the service to reflect, to meditate, to understand, and to commit to obey 
to do what God is calling you to do, to give what God calls you to give, and to live how God calls you to live. We're going to read together Matthew 13, and we'll read the first uh, 23 verses, the parable of the sower. We always pick up the story in the middle, and so this story begins. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. That's the Sea of Galilee. Such great crowds, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood along the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. This is one of them. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But then the sun came. The plants were scorched and they were withered. They withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. But still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Here's what I promised. Whoever has ears, let them hear. After this, the disciples came and asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will be given more in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understand. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes. They, they have closed their ears. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see, to look, and to see upon what you see, but they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. And then Jesus does the only thing that he does in the New Testament. He explains one of his parables. He says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling along rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, oh, sorry, I'm, yeah, there we go. Since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling along the thorns, among the thorns, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and they make it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and who understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. 
so far the reading of God's word. Now that uh, we took a moment to read God's word, it struck me that uh, I don't think any of us, very few of us are farmers, and none of us are farming the way that people were in Jesus' day in very small plots where we're sowing seed by hand. I think I can say with confidence, none of you are doing that. So I wanted to share another story with you this morning, an imaginative retelling of this parable, and I'm going to try and do this each week. Each week I'm going to post online a short, my version, my take of Jesus' parable using elements that are more common to everyday life in Calgary. And so I want to just show you a short video uh, that I already made. It's summer, so I'm taking it easy too. Um, but invite you just to hear this story a different way, uh, my interpretation on it, and then we'll come back to the message. So a young professional woman moves to Calgary and begins to attend River Park Church. She's single. She loves her new career. She's in the prime of her working life. And she's eager to share her talents and her time and her energy and her love for God with the people around her, at her work, in her neighborhood, and even here in our congregation. She begins by offering her God's peace and her friendship to some of her business colleagues. But unfortunately, they, they misunderstand, misunderstand her, her advances, advances, her friendship as romance, because that's what they want. And the relationship quickly comes to nothing. But she has other friends at work and in her neighborhood, and she's eager to spend time with them and get to know them better, but quickly finds out that there's already a group of them gathering on uh, one or two nights a week to share some drinks and some conversation. But when she joins that group, she quickly finds after just a few meetings that these people are so frustrated and consumed by their lives, by complaints about their employers or frustrations with the government, that there's no room really to go deeper with them and to have the kind of meaningful friendship that she's looking for. So she moves on. But she finds others in her situation, even some at River Park Church. And as she gets to know them, she invites them and is invited into relationship with them. Another disappointing thing happens. She finds that these people are so consumed with their own lives, so busy with their own schedules, that when she tries to set something up, people regularly show up late, or they cancel and reschedule. There's just no room for her to break into the community. These people are spending their lives, their energy, and their focus on things that they've already decided are most important. And so they have no energy left. But finally, Amidst all of her looking and wondering and offering her peace, the peace of God to others, 
she finds a few folks. Some people in a situation very similar to hers. Some people in a situation very different from hers. And yet, with these few, she finds deep joy and peace. She finds friendship and opportunity to grow deeper together, to share in life, in joy, and struggle. She invites them over and they come and they return her invitation as well. And pretty soon, other people are hearing about the, the joy and the fun and the beauty that this little group of oddballs and new folks to one another. Other people are finding out about this group. They're interested. They're drawn in. They begin to wonder to themselves and even to others, what is it that makes this band of misfits so loving toward one another? so committed to each other, so joyful, even in the midst of the struggles of everyday life. And soon the group of two or three grows to 10, grows to 15, to 20. And as it grows, joy increases. Not just joy for the group, but even joy for this young, talented, wonderful woman whom God is using to bless people in her work, in her neighborhood, and even here at River Park Church. Jesus says to us, those of us who have ears to hear, let us hear. I wonder if you notice in uh, any time that Jesus tells the story about the kingdom, always tells the story about how good the good news of the kingdom of God is always a story about quantity and a story about quality. Living things grow. They grow larger, but they also grow stronger. When the word of God, when Jesus makes his home within and among us, he grows within us. He spreads his love to others as well. It's a fact of our biology and our humanity that living things grow. Put another way, people can't help but be sowers, which is to say we can't help but be evangelists or promoters for the things that we believe in and the things that we value the most. Every time you post something on social media, Every time you choose how to spend your free time, every time you make plans and keep your plans, you're always making and valuing and investing in things and sharing that with others. We are always, as people, putting energy into making something grow. Jesus knows this. And so he tells the parable of the sower to show his disciples what God puts his energy and investment into, what God is doing to, and what God is making grow. As Jesus explains this to his disciples, he says that God is, has given and planted the message of the kingdom of God. But that is what God wants to grow, his kingdom. 
Do you know what the message of the kingdom is? Maybe you've attended a church, this church or another church, your whole life. And maybe you're still not clear on what the message of the kingdom of God is. Maybe the seed that has been sown on the path of your life, or the seed that's been sown in your life has also fallen on the path. Each week or each month or each year, it's there again, but always Satan snatches it away before it can really take root. Do you know the message of the kingdom of God? Mark, in his gospel, records the very first words that Jesus preaches in his ministry. Immediately after Jesus comes out of the desert in a time of testing with Satan, Jesus comes to God's people and he says, Repent and believe, for the time has come and the kingdom of God is here. What is this message of the kingdom? There's cartoons. I'm not going to show you one, but the cartoon of Western Christian evangelism is one person knocking on another person's door, their front door, and saying, well, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. Maybe you've seen that kind of thing or heard that or or experienced that yourself before. But the interesting thing is when we actually meet Jesus in the Bible, Jesus is rarely interested in talking about himself. Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God. If Jesus knocked on your door, he wouldn't say, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. He would say, I'd like to tell you about the kingdom of God. Jesus' focus is the kingdom of God coming to earth. And if Christians want to be like Jesus, then we don't just need to talk about Jesus. We need to talk about the things that Jesus talked about. To follow the way of life that Jesus lived. The message of the kingdom of God is what the sower plants, Jesus says, when he sows his seeds. It's very simple to say, but also very challenging to find and experience. The message of the kingdom of God is, on the one hand, an expansive message, and on the other hand, a very personal and individual message. The expansive part is that God is in charge of everything in our world. But our world doesn't recognize God as king. Our world perhaps rebels against God as king or just ignores him. Everywhere you look, people are serving things or serving themselves, someone or something other than God. But the personal part of the message of the kingdom is this. We know what goes on in our world, but it's not that way with me. But it's not that way with us. I have decided, we have decided, we have agreed that we belong to God. So we give control of our lives to God. We give our priorities and our preferences to God. We give everything to God. And we don't do it perfectly. But we are giving more and more to God because, and this is the key part of the personal message of the kingdom, we're giving more and more to God because when we give something to God, when we entrust anything and everything about ourselves to God, we experience that our lives are better because we have given 
a part of ourselves to God. We have begun to experience God's presence and his power and his care for us on a regular basis. We have experienced the end of ourselves and the end of the honor that we can produce for ourselves. And instead, God has covered over our shame with his honor. Our lives are better because we have given them, given them to God. But here's the challenge. Now I've tried in a minute or two to tell you the message of the kingdom, and yet probably none of your lives are any better. Because this is a message that, as I said, is simple to say, but challenging to find and to experience. It's a word that can't simply just be heard and listened to. It has to be taken in and take root in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. The message has to be allowed to grow. It strikes me that we live in a world of hard-packed soil. Perhaps that's always been the case. But as Christians look around in 2023, many of us, I think, see neighbors who don't believe or experience in general that Christians' lives are any better than their own. I wonder if, and I think that, this is partly because too many Christians don't believe that our lives are better or preferable to anybody else's. We've taken God's amazing message of the kingdom of God coming. And either we make it into a strict set of rules that some, that some or all of us need to follow. Or we take it for granted. We, we ignore it when it's convenient and we continue on our own way with our own preferences. But we still claim to follow Jesus. Put it another way. Because we live in a world of hard-packed soil, our hearts, too, very easily can become hard. This is a, the beautiful simplicity of a parable about sowing seeds. Again, this isn't the world that most of us live in, but somebody like me who doesn't know the first thing about farming perhaps somebody like you, we could watch a farmer all day. We could watch a farmer sow a seed in a small field, and I wouldn't be able to tell you where the ground is hard or where the ground is soft. I wouldn't be able to tell you in that moment where the sun will bake the ground dry and hard or where tomorrow the thorns will spring up. The farmer knows. But me watching, I have no idea. You see, God has sown the good news of his kingdom to all people in all places. He knows that not all of it will take root everywhere. And yet, because of who he is, he gives himself and he gives his good news, the good news of his kingdom, anyway. Wherever God brings the good news, through Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, through different times in history, the kingdom of God coming 
always first seems impossible, and then as we look back later, it seems inevitable. At first, when the announcement of some change or something new or different comes, it's dismissed. There's no way that could possibly happen. But later we look back and we connect all the dots and we see just how necessary or inevitable it was. I want to give you just a few examples of the kind of, of, of what I mean here. The first one is not an example about the coming kingdom of God, but simply an example of how this works. Some of you, probably all of you, have heard of uh, the Cold War. The, when the, the U.S., the United States, and the USSR, the United Soviet States of Russia, were both developing nuclear capabilities and threatening to, to uh, put each other off the map. During that time, the U.S. President John F. Kennedy said, let every nation know, whether it supports us or wishes us ill, that we will pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. And he meant liberty, but he meant America and its friends as well. On the other side of the USSR, Nikita Khrushchev said, whether you like it or not, history is on our side. We will bury you. In 1989, we say now, toward the end of the Cold War, in 1989, it was just about impossible to imagine that anything except the continuation or the worsening of the Cold War would happen. But in 1991, the Soviet Union fell apart. And almost immediately, newspapers and cultural commentators began to see how the decline and fall of the USSR was inevitable, it was unavoidable had to have happened that way. Let me give you another example. A farmer sows his seed. There was a first time that happened. We don't always think about that. But there's a first time a farmer decided to sow his seed. The first time you just dump food on the ground, it's impossible to imagine that anything would grow. But a few years later, it seems inevitable. Maybe it even seems ordinary. Let me give you another example. A child grows up in River Park Church. As a community, we see and know and love them. It seems impossible to us that they would ever leave the faith. But years later, we look back and it seems like it was inevitable. It was the only way it could have gone. These are the times and the places where God's kingdom and the message of God's kingdom breaks in between what is, seems inevitable or what seems impossible and what later we see was inevitable. To put it in the picture of this parable, Many of us experience in many different ways that we are living life on the path, among the rocky places, beneath the thorns. We are not so different 
from those who have gone before, who have missed out on the growth and the life and the joy of the message of the kingdom of God. For 400 years before Jesus was born, the Jewish people walked through a period of darkness and silence. If you read your Old Testament, it ends with the book of Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And there were many prophets who God gave his people, and they listened to some of them, and they ignored other ones, but the prophets were always there. But between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New, just between those two pages is 400 years. And for 400 years, God was silent. It began to seem impossible to God's people that God would ever speak again. And then Jesus came, and he came announcing, look, the kingdom of God is here. It sounded impossible. Unbelievable. Jesus was accused of blasphemy, of, of taking God's name in vain and lying about who God was or what God said. But today, any Christian theologian, any Christian book you pick up will say, well, it was inevitable. Jesus had to have come. Not only are we not surprised at Jesus' incarnation, we're clear that it was unavoidable. This is how God works and how the good news of the kingdom breaks into our world. God meets his people in these moments when something seems impossible and the next when, he seemed, when it seems to have been inevitable. Today, too, we live in times where the ground is shifting underneath us. And I don't mean the farmland. I mean our cultural landscape is shifting and changing rapidly. The state of our hearts are shifting and changing rapidly along with it. From, the, from 1991 until 2006 was 15 years. 1991, as I said, was the fall of the USSR, which changed our world in a number of ways. 2006, YouTube went mainstream. Facebook, you could sign up for Facebook as an adult in uh, the US and Canada. Not, you didn't just have to be a student. Cell phones by 2006 had become pretty widely available. In 2006, the Human Genome Project sequenced its first human gene, the entirety of it. But the next 15 years saw even more changes. The next year, 2007, the first iPhone was released. Now it's basically garbage. Wouldn't even be good for a paperweight. Since, since that time, technology has doubled every two years, and it's doubled in speed and capacity. 2021, 15 years later, we saw messenger RNA vaccines. We saw hyper-accurate GPS positioning, not just for governments or military, but for individuals. We saw skilled AI that can do just about anything, it seems, for you. And we saw much of the world working from home. We're not here to talk about all of those things. 
But through all of these shifting and changing ground in our world, through all of these massive changes, the churches in the West have put a lot of priority on basically doing the same thing that we have always done. We still think that the death of Christianity, as it is in the West, is impossible. We might hope for a better future, but we too often we don't hope with any real or tangible expectation. Even though we can look to Europe or to Australia or to the United States and even around Canada and see that without change, that further decline and even death may be inevitable. But into this, God comes preaching the good news of his kingdom. According to LifeWay Research, which is in the United States, approximately 4,500 Protestant churches closed in the U.S. in 2019. This is before COVID. And uh, 3,000 churches opened. It was the first time ever in the U.S. since this group began uh, reporting or researching that there had been more churches closed than opened. Now, since the pandemic hastened or, or hurried cultural trends, most researchers believe that those closures have only accelerated and increased. Meanwhile, there's research by the Survey Center on American Life. This is also an American uh, thing that found in the spring of 2022, after COVID, 67% of Americans reported attending church at least once a year. Once a year, 67% people went. And before the pandemic, that was 75%. So there's a drop there too. And of, now, of course, these are American numbers. We're not going to waste a bunch of time with them. But my point is simple. The soil for the good news of the kingdom of God is simply not the same as it was five years ago. It's not the same as it was 15 years ago. The landscape has changed. The ground continues to shift. But God has sown his seed everywhere. God has planted the good news of his kingdom everywhere. In the midst of our changing landscape, Christians have two options. We can try to understand every challenge, to solve every problem, and to face everything head on. Or we can attend to the work of God, and to the coming of God's kingdom more than ever. We don't just need to hear what God is saying on a Sunday morning. We need to listen to what God is saying. We need to take time to check our understanding and also to obey what God is calling us to do. To obey what God is calling us to do, where he calls us to go, how he calls us to do it, and when he leads us. If I say to you this morning that the Spirit of the Lord is doing a new thing, you might shake your head after all what seems like disheartening news. You might shake your head in disbelief. You might think it's unbelievable or impossible. You might even think I'm being blasphemous or too light with the word of God. 
It may seem impossible that God is doing a new thing. And yet the message of the kingdom of God always comes between the impossible and the inevitable. If we try to understand and face everything that goes on in our world, we will never begin to obey and do what God is calling us to do. But into a world where it seemed impossible that God would change, Jesus invited God's people to come and behold God. To come and experience his kingdom now. Open up your Bible after we finish worshiping this morning. We encourage you all to leave your Bibles at home by projecting it on the screen behind me. But go home. Find your Bible. Read about how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the parables that he tells. Will you see what he says? Will you listen? Will you understand? And will you follow no matter where he goes? God has been sowing the good news of his kingdom for centuries in all kinds of places here in Calgary and around the world. And we find ourselves in the midst of this changing landscape again. We will see more fruit and more blessing when we give up more of ourselves. When we hear what God wants us to hear. When we see and enjoy God's kingdom. When we obey what he's calling us to do. God And through his good news of his kingdom, always has more for us. He always invites us, not just to hear it, not just to listen, not just even to understand, but also to obey and to follow him. We'll be getting more into this throughout the rest of the summer. But for now, I want to invite you please to bow your heads and pray with me. God, it is, I don't think it's news to any of us that our world is, the landscape of our world is changing. But it does often seem impossible that it would change for the best. Unlikely that your Holy Spirit would pour out more blessing, more healing, more salvation, and more deliverance. God, in the hardness of our hearts, where we find ourselves along the hard-packed, sun-baked path, or among the thorns where hope is choked out, do the work, Lord, that only you can do to tend to the soil of our hearts and lives, to make it good, Change us, Lord, as only you can. We can't change one another. We can't even change ourselves. But our hope is in you and our eyes are on you. So, Lord, speak your words to us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Help us to understand, to listen, and to obey as individuals, as communities, and as a church drawn together by your love and by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.